And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I am your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. I hope you guys are having a terrific week. Um, I had a great guest on the show today. I think you guys will really enjoy it. I had Baylor Cook, who's a commentator and radio personality down in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, really smart guy. Very, really good talk. We talked all things Supreme Court and broke down, of course, um, the ridiculous hysterical reaction from our friends on the left. Uh, before we get to Baylor, I want to say hi to our sponsors over at Premier Vapor. If you want to quit smoking or you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. Um, they have the largest selection of premium e-liquids anywhere in the country. All their stuff is delicious. It's all made here in America. It is all FDA compliant. They have any kind of tank, battery, mod, coil, anything you need. Um, they have. You can check them out in person in Perrysburg or Holland, Ohio, if you're coming through this area. If not, check them out at PremierVaporAndLounge.com. That is PremierVaporAndLounge.com. Free shipping on all orders, over 35 bucks. You really can't beat that. Trust me, guys, it is delicious. I'm literally cheaping on, cheaping on some Premier Vapor stuff right now. Um, and please follow us on Twitter if you don't already, at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. We'd really appreciate that. And as you know, uh, two shows a week, every Monday and Wednesday afternoon. The content will always be free, but if you want to get involved, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. If you want to contribute monthly, there's some awesome incentives there uh, if you choose to do so. Uh, all right, without further ado, here is my chat with Baylor Cook. All right, guys, we're here with Baylor Cook. Baylor, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, man, let's jump right into the big news of the week. Brett Kavanaugh will be the next Supreme Court justice, replacing Justice Anthony Kennedy. Um, what, what do you think of the pick? I like the pick, personally. Uh, uh, if he makes it through the confirmation process, which will be hard, a lot of people say it'll be hard, but I'm not sure it will be that hard. I think he'll have the moderates in the Republican Party on board, such as the Susan Collins, who everyone is afraid that she's going to vote no, but she's voting no strictly on the question of Roe v. Wade, even though it's clear by her explanation she doesn't understand Roe versus Wade. However, they're worried about who she's going to vote for, and Kavanaugh has come out and said, look, I am a strong supporter of uh, precedent, uh, stare decisis, and I am... I'm just not going to overturn Roe versus Wade unless an opportunity presents itself and the case bears out um, essentially a case to overturn Roe versus Wade. And so he's got Suzanne Collins' vote, and she was one of the swing votes. And there have been other swing votes who I can't remember right off the top of my head who have said they're leaning towards voting yes for Kavanaugh. So I think he's got a clear path to confirmation. And I think he'll make an excellent Supreme Court justice because, see, you got me rolling on this because I love the Supreme Court. No, no, but, go for um, it. Go for it. <laughs> Essentially, he's a he's a he's a constitutionalist and he's an originalist, which is exactly what you need in a Supreme Court justice, because there's apparently this there's this binary where people say, well, it's either a living document or it is 
just how it was written, you know, the originalism view of it. And that is how the Constitution was intended to be read, was in a, an originalism way. It's not a doc, it's not a living document. Um, and that's where a lot of people go wrong. And Kavanaugh views it as the same way that Scalia did. And Scalia was one of my favorite justices, uh, rest in peace. He said, essentially, the Constitution is not a living document. We can rule what's in the Constitution, but we can't rule off of what's not in the Constitution. So I think Kavanaugh is going to fill kind of the hole that was left by Scalia, but he's also going to, and Gorsuch does that to an effect, but I think Kavanaugh's a really good pick to do just that what Scalia was on the court, even though he's filling the place of Kennedy. Right, right. And I, I agree with you that he will be confirmed. I, I honestly think he'll get 54, 55 votes, to be honest with you. I think Collins and Lisa yeah. Murkowski and, and you know the moderate Republicans, I think all, all 50 Republicans, obviously, I don't think John McCain can travel, so I don't think he'll actually be present for the vote. Yeah. Um, so there's only you know 50 um, Republican votes, but I think all the Republicans will vote for him. I think they'll get a Joe Manchin, Joe Donnelly, maybe Heidi Heitkamp, maybe somebody like Claire McCaskill, who's running a tough race right now in Missouri. I, they, they could easily get four or five Democrats as well. Um, Brett Kavanaugh went to Yale. He taught law at Harvard. He's been on the D.C. Court of Appeals for 10 years. I mean, he obviously is is more than qualified um, to, you know. To and he also the, clerked for Kennedy. Right. He also clerked under Kennedy. Um, so, yeah, nobody can say he isn't qualified. Um, he, he wasn't like my first choice. I guess I uh, well, pretty much everybody on President Trump's list of 25 names that was put together by the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society. Those were all good names. Like, I don't really think he could have gone wrong. Yeah. Um, the four finalists, you know, quote unquote finalists that he was choosing from this week. I, I don't really think he could have gone wrong. I probably would have went uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Um, I think she's a true textualist, originalist. Um, she's and I, I was kind of rooting for her just just I mean, just to see what the left would do. Uh, but I think the left would have reacted the same way no matter what. I mean, he could have nominated Santa Claus and they still would have called Santa Claus Hitler. And said that we're all going to die and stuff like that. So I'm like, well, if they're going to melt down, you might as well, you know, put the the Catholic mother of seven, <laughs> you know, very openly uh, pro-life, <laughs> 46 year old. Up oh here. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I wish we put a 36 year old on the Supreme Court, but uh, but yeah, I but I I think Kavanaugh will be a great justice, even if he wasn't maybe my first choice. Um, and I I don't know if he's going to be. We well, saw the email. Sorry. No, no, go go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, you saw the email released by the Women's March, right, where it basically right. said, um, it said, we strongly oppose the candidate that President Trump has suggested for the Supreme Court. And then it had X's there because they forgot to fill in the name. So they were just, just going to drop whatever name he chose in there and just say, this is the one we oppose. It doesn't ma it, it never mattered who he chose. They would be up in arms screaming bloody murder from the top of their lungs, regardless of who he chose. He could have nominated Merrick Garland and they still would have reacted like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean truly um i don't know if if kavanaugh is going to be as originalist as um uh, as scalia or clarence thomas or mm -hmm. or neil gorsuch um he, he does have a couple problematic rulings like the the obamacare one where he basically said you know he didn't have mm -hmm. jurisdiction to to uh vote whether or not obamacare was was unconstitutional or the uh the individual mandate was unconstitutional um mm -hmm. So I, I don't know, but I, I don't think there are some conservatives that think that he's going to kind of move to the center and become a Kennedy or, a, or or somebody like that. I don't think that's fair at all. I think he'll be somewhere in between Clarence Thomas and and 
uh, John Roberts. Maybe he'll end up like uh, Alito, probably, which is still, you know, Alito's exactly. a constitutionalist. Like he votes the right way. So um, I, I don't really think there's anything to worry about. Exactly. So what do you think about the polarization of the going off what you said, you know, moving to the middle? And we've heard a lot of talk about that because um, in the five, four court, when Kennedy was in there, you had four Democrats, uh, you had four Supreme forces that were nominated by a Democratic president that all leaned left on social issues. And then you had four candidates that were all nominated by Republican presidents that all leaned right on social issues. And so everyone was saying it was politically polarized court and that Kennedy swing vote in it i think the best analogy i ever heard is it depends on what if kennedy had a good bowel movement or not where he would where he would fall whether uh, right or left right on the social issues but uh what what do you think about the polarization of the court um because i know it's a really contentious topic i i just think that the left-leaning judges view their job in a completely different way than the quote-unquote conservative justices mm-hmm. um they like yeah. they don't seem to care too much about the actual job description <laughs> of the position that they hold of just interpreting the constitution yeah. they 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 view themselves as a wing of the democratic party trying to push progressivism which is wrong and mm-hmm. they should probably be impeached because uh you know in a perfect world you should have nine originalist justices i mean the, i don't i don't see how uh, you would view anything other than originalism as acceptable sitting on that bench. I and mean, that is, is their job description, to interpret the Constitution as written. So I think it's just that these left-leaning justices have completely— I mean, they're trying to morph the court into something that it was never supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, th- th- they have gone and they have far surpassed that. I mean, uh, the right to privacy case, which the exact case is uh, slipping my mind right now, which is crazy because I, uh, I was doing research on it before— but the right to privacy case where they essentially read the right to pri- Griswold v. Connecticut. Right. Um, they read the right to privacy into that ruling. And they basically said, look, this is written nowhere in the Constitution. However, we are going to pick and choose little phrases out of each amendment. And we're going to say that maybe it gives the right to privacy. And then it becomes a foundation for the rulings to follow, such as uh, Roe v. Wade and all of the Planned Parenthood cases and everything of that nature. And you're just sitting there going, where did this come from? Nowhere in the Constitution give a right to privacy. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you've seen even as, as recently as the uh, the gay marriage decision, the court abdicating their, their job description. I mean, it's not the court's job mm-hmm. to create law. To what do you create, mean by that? To, it was never the Supreme Court's job whether or not to allow mm-hmm. gay marriage, because that's not in the Constitution. It was, I mean, the mm-hmm. legislature should have proposed a bill saying, hey, gay people should be able to get married, and then the president should have signed it. It's not the court's job. So, like, the court was just going above and beyond their charter and just making policy, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, the way that they create policy, I'll, I'll agree with you there, they were never supposed to be the ones to create policy. However, I'm kind of torn uh, when it comes to Obergfeld because I understand uh, what you're saying there on one standpoint, and but uh, just stepping back for a second, I don't think the government ever should have been involved in marriage because marriage started as traditionally a religious institution. Oh yeah, when no, the, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and then when the government got involved in marriage, then I feel like it is the job of the Supreme Court to open it up to all people. If you're going to make an institution of the state and you're going to allow uh, tax benefits and death rights and health uh, health care. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Healthcare stipulations. With that, 
then I feel like under the freedom of religion, you have to open that up to all people. You know, it can't just be so restrictive. Um, but that's just a personal view that I hold. Right, right. Let's talk about the left melting down. <laughs> okay. It, it really was a sight to behold after Kavanaugh was yeah. announced as as the next Supreme Court justice. They, I mean, you, you mentioned the fill-in-the-blank uh, <laughs> protests. Uh, yeah. Thousands of protesters showed up outside of the Supreme Court uh, in D.C., which is weird because there's nobody there. Um, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. nobody in that. It was an empty it's building. Symbolic. So. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but they were they were all given four signs. One said, stop Kavanaugh. The other said, stop Barrett. Stop Kethledge. <laughs> stop Hardiman. So they didn't even know who the pick was going to be, but they just brought signs saying, stop whoever. A lot of them were just carrying mm-hmm. homemade signs that just said, stop, and then a blank. And then when it was announced, they wrote the name in. Um I mean, this is predictable, I suppose, but what do you make of just the hysteria? Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader, said that Kavanaugh being confirmed, quote, would threaten the lives of millions of Americans, unquote. I don't know how. They said the same thing about Gore. Well, you know, in their defense, I guess they're being consistent with the whole mass death thing. They said the same thing about net neutrality. So uh, (laughs) just the hysteria coming from the left. what, What do you make of it? So uh, I likened it uh, on the radio show I did earlier today. I likened it to uh, it's they're like Chicken Little, you know. Regardless <laughs> of what happened, the sky's falling. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. You know, it could be the most benign thing where nothing's wrong, nothing's happening. It could just be President Trump instituted something that's not a polarizing topic. But anything that he does, President Trump does, the sky is falling. We're all going to die. This is going to be the end of the country. Which is how do you have a political discourse when you're talking to somebody like that? And see, that's why I differentiate liberals and leftists because I think the leftists are the one that were out in front of the Supreme Court and were just losing their mind. I mean, we were watching the protests and I was sitting there and I was laughing because there the person that was you know there's like multiple people at the podium and the one directly in front of the mic is yelling into about into it about Roe v. Wade and then the person uh, the the few people right behind them are there and they're yelling about Obamacare and you're like okay and then with the different signs you're just like can we get some cohesion like if you're going to go with the whole sky's falling routine that's great but can we at least just get why the sky's falling one across the board you know what I'm saying like like one consistent theme right and well I I know the differentiation between liberals and leftists I I think the the liberal contingent of the Democratic Party's you know going away though I think the center left is kind of slowly disappearing. I mean, 45% of registered Democrats describe themselves as socialists. So that's the the leftist it's side of the leftist side of, of the Democratic Party is growing in a very terrifying way. <laughs> um, and you know why that happens is because in this modern day sphere, everybody uh, like the, the greatest quote I've ever heard was from um, somebody who fought in World War Two. I can't remember exactly who it was, but they said the only people that ever want to live under socialism are the people who have never lived under socialism. Right. And I think that's just the truest thing I've ever heard because the fact that we have people advocating in our country for socialism right now is just absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, go ask a Cuban-American what they think about socialism. Exactly. I mean, the the most extreme voting bloc for the Republicans are Cuban-Americans. I think they vote something like 80% Republican because they they lived under Castro. They have... 
you know, family members and friends that were murdered by, by the communists, and they don't want anything that looks like communism or socialism. Uh, you're absolutely right. And All right, so with the left's hysteria, though, is this sustainable? Because they did the same thing with Gorsuch, and it didn't work. So why the hell do they, do they think it's going to work now? I mean, that was only a year ago. <laughs> I mean, they tried to block Gorsuch, and it didn't work. So why uh, they're just doing the same thing again, expecting a different result? I really don't understand what they're thinking. Well, I mean, the, the definition of insanity is doing something twice and expect doing the same thing twice and expecting different right. results. And they've done it a number of times with everything under the Trump presidency, whether it was Gorsuch, whether it was Stormy Daniels, whether it was tax cuts, whether it was A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, this is just what they, they do now, which is why everyone's saying, why can't we have political discourse in this country? Well, that's why, because right. we propose something where we're like, hey, maybe maybe conservatives think this is a good idea. Can we come to the table? Can we talk about this? I mean, the DACA legislation is the best descriptor of this I've ever seen. Conservatives propose a fix, and they say, look, we agree in some respects that these DACA citizens, these kids that didn't violate um, U.S. law knowingly on their own, you know, they were brought over here by their parents, let's fix that. And then the left goes, ah, and they lose their mind. And it's just because they want to run on it in November. Not they only, don't not, want a policy change. To expand on that, not only did the Republicans offer a fix, Donald Trump offered to expand DACA. Mm -hmm. he, he offered exactly. amnesty for twice as many people than Obama did. He literally mm -hmm. said, I'll give you everything you want. And they still freaked out and said, you're Hitler. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because... They have not, uh, think about it. If you take away the your Hitler card, if you take away the Donald Trump is the worst human being ever and we're going to resist. By the way, I, let me just make this caveat. Anyone who is part of the resistance is a moron. And I've said this publicly it, because if you are going to actively hope for the failure of the leader of your country, you realize that you are going to suffer the consequences of whatever happens from his failure. It's like if you worked in a business, would you ever hope the CEO fails? No. I mean, it's just common sense. But going back to what you were saying, it's incredible. They don't have anything to run on if they don't have somebody to yell at, if they don't have somebody to demonize, if they don't have somebody to give themselves this self-victimization complex. Right. No, I totally agree. And, and to... You know, with with the resistance, I completely agree with you. And you, and we saw what uh, uh, Bill Maher said a couple weeks ago, saying he's hoping for a recession. <laughs> he's hoping for crazy. He's hoping for the economy to collapse so people will vote against Trump. Which I mean, is just, you just can't make that's this just, stuff up. That's evil. I mean, that's just evil. Like you're hoping it really is. Who gets hurt by a recession? It's not the rich. Mm -hmm. It's the poor. It's the middle class. So like you're you're hoping poor people will suffer. Because you don't like the president, like that's that's not just misguided and wrong. I mean, that's like evil. I, I would actually call that evil. Well, don't go don't go making that assumption then, Brady. Because you know, Democrats <laughs> are the they're the ones for the poor people. They're the ones that want to help pull people out of abject poverty. They definitely don't benefit if people remain in cycles of poverty, and so they keep their voting blocks. Please note the heavy sarcasm. I don't think that the hysteria is going to be sustainable. I don't know how many more times they can do this. No. Especially with, you're seeing it, I mean, they it's the same reaction with net neutrality, the Paris Climate Accords, the Iran deal, North Korea, tax cuts, blah, 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 blah. But now they've done it with two straight Supreme Court nominees. So it's the same protest for the same reason. And Trump's probably not done picking justices, <laughs> especially if he no. wins re-election in 2020, which I think, honestly, mm -hmm. is very likely. I would I would put money on Trump getting re-elected in 2020. 
but Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 85. I believe Justice Breyer is 80 or 81. I mean, there's a very good chance that one of them will either step down due to medical reasons or pass away. Um, you know, that is very, you know, I don't want to say likely, but I'd say a 50-50 chance one of those uh, will be gone in the next, um, you, know, next you know, five and a half years that Trump is president because I really do think he is going to be reelected. Um, yeah. And so they're going to do the same thing again. Just round three of the same, like even for like moderate Democrats, and I, how, are you going to like put up with the same exact rhetoric a third time or a fourth time? Like if it's well, just the stock fill in the blank protest, it's the same rhetoric, it's the same stuff. Can you really say the same thing about the same situation over and over, and people still take you seriously? Well, I've seen the uh, I, I've seen moderate liberals, people that I know that were part of that were liberals. They weren't leftist, and like we were talking about earlier, when they see stuff like this over and over and over again, and they actually sit down and they go, "Okay, nothing is being achieved here." You will see some of them move to the right, and I think that's what's happening. And why I don't think I will say there has been a shift in the Democratic Party farther left, but I don't think it's pronounced. As we think, I think that's just all they got left because those are the only people that don't want to propose policy prescriptions at all. Instead, they just want to get up and yell about how they want free stuff. It's millennials that go, you know, free college sounds good. Free car sounds good. Free house sounds good. Everybody gets a job sounds good. Yeah, those all sound good in a utopian society, but it never works in every single example we've seen on a large scale. And they'll always point to some tiny European country and they'll say, yeah, it works there, and we'll be like, okay, that country's the size of Rhode Island. You know, it, it won't work on a large scale in the United States. Well, I mean, and those socialists, uh, those quote-unquote socialist Northern European countries are not really socialist countries either. And all, exactly. of their, all their wealth was accrued through capitalism. They just have high taxes. They just have high income mm-hmm. taxes. But they're not—you remember, you know, Bernie Sanders always says, we got to be more like Denmark, you know? <laughs> That's a spot-on impression, And then the, the, the president, <laughs> the one percent— but and then the president of Denmark is like, <laughs> bro, like we're not a socialist country. Like issued a statement like, stop saying we're socialist. Like we are not. Like we are a capitalist country. <laughs> and just like dunked on Bernie Sanders, which is just delicious. I think one indicator that the leftist outrage isn't sustainable. I, I came along, I came across this on Twitter earlier, and this is the um, over the last week, um, the average uh, viewership for the cable news networks, right? And I don't really watch a lot of cable news, but I just thought this was interesting because it was a huge news week, obviously. So all the networks should have had really good ratings, you would think, right? Our friends over at CNN did not. (laughs) So even when everybody's tuning into cable news to to, hear about the Supreme Court and everything, these are are the numbers for each time slot between Fox News and CNN. And I think it's because people are getting tired even people on the left are getting tired of the the hysteric, the hysterics. They just don't want to hear it anymore. It's the 4 p.m. Uh, time slot. 1.4 million for Fox News. 750,000 for Jake Tapper over at CNN. Five o'clock. 2.3 million to 800,000. Six o'clock. 2.3 million to 800,000. 2.2 million to 800,000. 8 p.m. Tucker Carlson. 3.3 million. Anderson Cooper. 900,000. 9 p.m. Sean Hannity. Over 5.8 million. Chris Cuomo, 1.6 million. So Hannity trip more than tripled CNN in that time. I mean, this is like these aren't even close, man. Like people are just turning off CNN. Like I'm, I just it has to be because of the outrage. 
They're just done with it. They know exactly what CNN is going to say, and they just they're tuning them out. And the crazy thing is, is you can argue the same hysterics that are happening on the left when it comes to these cable news networks, like people going on as soon as uh, Justice Kennedy steps down, and uh, they go Roe versus Wade is done, and it's literally crying on set and things of that nature. But then <laughs> you can go to the you can go to the right, and there are people like Sean Hannity, who President Trump could do no wrong in his eyes. Now, does Hannity? maybe have a better grip on reality than some of the people at CNN you just named? Absolutely. But I mean, you can argue that the same, maybe not hysterics is the right word, but the same tendencies to lean towards one side exist. Yet Fox News is doing so much better because Hannity will come out and he'll be saying, you know, I still agree with Donald Trump, but we got beat. You know, this got knocked down by the court or this didn't work out how we thought. But he's not over there crying and yelling on television going, why, why, why? This should have worked. This never works. This is the fall of a b c d e f g right which don't get me wrong sometimes he says this is the fault of a b c d e f g but that, that's another conversation entirely right and I, I think if the democrats never want to win an election ever again they should keep this up so let's keep going guys hashtag resistance i mean keep it going at least until november in right. my eyes maybe maybe into 2020 i'm getting like thank goodness I don't have cable at my apartment. I get to choose the 100% of what news I watch, whereas I watch it all on YouTube and online. But I'm like you. I wouldn't watch much cable news anymore because all it is is hysterics. Uh, It's just pandering to your base. That's what modern-day news has turned into. And that's kind of sad. because, And that's something that I try to do whenever uh, with my radio show, with my writing. I will always try to present the facts. And then if you're asking for my commentary, then I'll give the commentary. But I'll never just go straight into not just commentary, but just hysterical commentary, just absolutely absurd, because that benefits nobody. Right. I totally agree. Um, one more point on on the Supreme Court. I think it's really time to give uh, Mitch McConnell the credit that, that he deserves. Um, we yeah. have two Supreme Court justices in large part because of Mitch McConnell's huge gamble in 2016. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if he would not have gambled with Merrick Garland, said no, we're not going to give him a vote. You know, Obama's a lame duck. We got to wait till after the election. That is a huge. That was a huge political gamble that paid off. And honestly, I don't think Trump would have been elected if Mitch McConnell hadn't done that because that energized the Republican base and got people out to vote. I don't think as many people would have gotten out to vote if if they didn't make uh, the Supreme Court probably the main campaign issue. And that mm-hmm. that took balls. I mean, people always make fun of Mitch McConnell. Um, but that took balls, man. Like that was a huge gamble really politically. It paid off. I mean, he got Gorsuch confirmed. He's about to get uh, Kavanaugh confirmed. He got tax cuts passed. And you know, like the Trump wing of the Republican Party is always, you know, they call Mitch McConnell the establishment. And oh, he's you know he's too establishment. We don't like him. I don't know, man. He's been President Trump's best friend <laughs> politically. I mean, tr- Trump's exactly like none of these things would have happened without Mitch. And I think he is starting to get some some credit. You know, and like even the Trump wing, they're kind of embracing with like the hashtag cocaine Mitch <laughs> memes and stuff. They're kind of like embracing <laughs> him into like, you know, in, into their kind of wing of the party. And uh, it's like you guys down in Alabama. I mean, you guys nominated a pedophile <laughs> for the United States oh, Senate. Oh, don't bring up literally, Roy Moore. Literally, Please don't but, bring up Roy Moore. <laughs> literally, Roy Moore, a pedophile, was, was nominated for the United States Senate because the Trump wing of the party hated Mitch McConnell so much. Like, that's literally why. And it's like, 
Luther Strange would have been a fine senator. Like he he voted for the Trump agenda like ninety seven percent of the time or something. You know, exactly. he would have been fine. Mo Brooks would have been great. You know, but so like there was this huge split in the Republican Party with with the establishment wing and the Trump wing to the point where they 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 nominated probably the worst candidate we've seen in a long in my lifetime. And I think, at least I hope, that with the second uh, confirmation of, of a great Supreme Court justice, which that's obviously Mitch McConnell leading the way here, mm-hmm. maybe that divide will kind of be gone. If it's not already fizzling out, I think it definitely will now. And I think that's great for the health of the Republican Party. What do you think? Uh, well, two points. I definitely— Sorry to um, bring up Roy Moore, I buddy. Want- Sorry, man. <laughs> uh, no, see, I got to address Roy Moore. You brought Roy Moore back up. So um, when Roy Moore ran in the state of Alabama, I was probably the biggest advocate against Roy Moore. That didn't mean I was an advocate for Doug Jones, Luther Strange. I just advocated against Roy Moore. And I actually wrote a piece for a conservative publication that went viral um, right before the election happened. And I said, don't vote for Roy Moore, and here's why. And everybody always went to the accusations, you know, because uh, it was past the statute of limitations. Therefore, it couldn't be investigated. So we would never know if the pedophilia claims were true or not. Although the accusations had a lot of merit, and if there was, they weren't past the statute of limitations, definitely would have warranted an investigation. So right. I said, okay, if we're able to put those accusations, which in and of themselves are pretty damning, but innocent until proven guilty, let's put those in a box and put those over to the side. Let's just look at his track record. He was elected to office three times. Of the three times he was elected, he was kicked out of office two times. He's only served <laughs> one full term, and we want to send him to the United States Senate? Asinine. Like, it, right. you can't get a worse candidate than that. It, it's, it's the same thing. You could have run anyone against Doug Jones besides Roy Moore, and they win in a landslide in Alabama. So that's the Roy Moore thing. And, and um, the divide. Uh, so, can you remind me of the question about the Trumpian part? I just had to get the Roy. Oh no, no, right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, yeah. You, get, you know, it is your state, so you, you're, you're, oh, yeah. you're, you're a little closer to it than I am. But yeah, it's just that I, yeah. I, I believe because I, I believe that Roy Moore was nominated because of like the Trump wing of the party's uh, hatred yes. for Mitch McConnell, and I think with this, you know, Kavanaugh, a, a great judge being nominated, and Mitch McConnell's going to get him confirmed quickly. I think that split in the Republican Party between the quote-unquote establishment and then the Trump wing is kind of dissolving, and I think that's really good for everybody. And I I agree with you, and I I think that a lot of people are really starting to understand, um, especially in the Trumpian side of the party, how Trump got elected, which is like you said, he ran on the Supreme Court justices. And there was actually— so Mitch McConnell basically made that gutsy call and was like, you know, we're not going to vote to confirm anybody. We're, we're not going there. Um, and then after that, President Trump, during his campaign, released the list of 25 nominees that as soon as he got into office, he said, these are the people that I vote brilliant. for. And right then, brilliant. He, I mean, it, it was brilliant. It really made him, I believe, because they've used the allegory of mud because, you know, there's all these things that have come out about president trump that could have been damning to any other candidate and so they're like you know usually this mud would hit a candidate and the candidate would go down well president trump became made of mud when he put those supreme (laughs) court picks up there because he's made of mud you can throw all the mud you want at him and nothing's going to take him down you know nothing's going to pull him into the mud or take him out of the race because people don't see trump you know there are some people that love president trump see president trump and are like regardless of what he says regardless of what he does let's go 
But then there are the moderates and the moderate Republicans that are like, I see the Supreme Court nominees and I see the high likelihood that two to three nominees happen in the next four to eight years. So regardless of what I think about what President Trump did in his past life, the affairs, all that stuff, I'm going to go with him because of the Supreme Court nominee and because we don't want Hillary Rodham Clinton to get a nominee. God help us if that happens. We would lose all, we would lose all liberties um, if Hillary Clinton got a Supreme Court justice. I mean, can you imagine some of the landmark cases that just came down? If she was able to put somebody in Gorsuch's seat, I mean, they all would have gone just completely the opposite way. Um, I, I don't really want to think about the transgendered socialist that Hillary Clinton would have put on the Supreme Court. <laughs> I don't even want to yep. think about it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think you're spot on. And I think that because uh, there is to a large degree, the Republican Party has pretty much become the Trumpian party, especially during these past couple of years. But I think the Republican Party is waking up to the fact that, hey, McConnell basically got Trump elected like he was a big part of it. And But I think the same could be said with any other candidates. Now, in saying that, it sounds like I'm anti-President Trump. I'm not. There are some things in his past that I don't agree with, some personal things, because, you know, I think the president is supposed to be a role model in all respects. However, the policies he's put forward have been phenomenal for the American people. I mean, we have literally reaped the benefits in his first, what, two years. Um, and so I can't be, there's nothing I can complain about right now. He's doing a phenomenal job, uh, legislatively. The only qualms I have were, were in his past life, which, you know, people can make the argument whether that matters or whether it doesn't just with my own values and my own moral sets, I would say that maybe it matters because, you know, what, for the children looking up to him. But other than that, man, just what he's doing economically for this country and um, policy-wise, you can't beat it. Other than tariffs. If you take the tariffs out, then I'd say yeah. that Trump's policies, I mean, he's governing as a true conservative if you take out mm -hmm. tariffs. Like tariffs is the, kind of the one big thing that really grinds my gears. But if you take that out, this has been the most conservative administration since Reagan's first term, mm -hmm. I would say. See. And I'm not, I'm not trying to even get into the folklore here, but, you know, Trump's been one step ahead of what everybody says. I mean, even as somebody who's not, you know, Trumpian by, by definition, I, I will still agree that every time I'm like, why is he doing that? You know, we get around uh, three months later and there's a reason. So maybe with these tariffs, there's a reason that we're not seeing, but I'm kind of with you on the tariffs there. I just, I, I don't see really that big of a point to them. Although I will say manufacturing jobs have gone up in the U.S. since steel tariffs have gone into place. However, American people are still going to be paying more for those goods because all a tariff is is essentially a tax on the consumer. Right. And going back to the list of 25, that was a brilliant move um, for, mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. And I think that eased the minds of a lot of conservatives that just, you know, that were thinking in 2016 during the campaign, like, well, does this guy really know what he's talking about? Does he know, does he really value conservatism? Does he really value, you know, textualist, originalist justices on the Supreme Court? So he lets the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society vet these 25 candidates. And, well, you know, I don't know if I can trust Donald Trump's conservatism. I trust the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> I absolutely. Exactly. I, I, do, I do believe that they care about the Constitution deeply. Mm -hmm. So kind of delegating that out to, to people like the Federal Society and the Heritage Foundation, I think, was just a brilliant move. And that was also, I mean, it's keeping a campaign promise as well, saying, I'll surround myself with the best people, you know. And, and he has, done, yeah. I mean, he has had some 
sketchy characters around him. Obviously, Scott Pruitt at the EPA yeah. forced to step down for misusing <laughs> taxpayer dollars and stuff like that. But I mean, picking the soundproof booth. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, picking Mike Pence as his running mate, a, a solid conservative with a long mm-hmm. record, and somebody like Nikki Haley, right, and Jim Mattis, you know, l- letting the Heritage Foundation vet these these uh, judges. I mean that. I mean, I think we, we said, me and um, my former co-host Josiah on our drunken two-hour episode 100 podcast, like we were just <laughs> so happy looking back a year and a half after we started the show that none of the things we were worried about happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my, my biggest thing was, you know, jo- Josiah really didn't like President Trump during the campaign. I, I voted for him. Josiah didn't. And so he thought that Trump was going to like get us into another war or something like that. Well, I mean, he's ending wars, not getting us into new ones. And I just thought that exactly. Trump wasn't going to govern like a conservative, and he has. He's absolutely governed like a conservative. So, like, all of our fears have been <laughs> been dealt with, you know? Like, but, I, I, yeah, exactly. But the fears were warranted, in an essence, because New York real estate mogul. You know, what about that screams conservatism? I mean, there's not a lot. Maybe nothing. the monetary aspect, and maybe because he wants his business to thrive— but no, I mean, but New all, all those New York real estate guys are in bed with big government. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? yeah. Exactly. So nothing in that really screams conservatism, nor does it scream, you know, the clean the swamp mentality. Cause like you said, they're in bed with the establishment. Oh yeah. So just president Trump in and of himself is just such an interesting phenomenon. I love covering him. And then the Twitter, man, I mean, you just can't <laughs> get, better i mean every time i think that i have like wrapped my head around what is donald trump another tweet comes out and i'm like now where is that policy proposal coming from you know that's out of it's out of left field but it's a really conservative policy that i never would have thought he backed i mean he comes out and he says uh, he says that i think we should put uh, abortion back to the states and i'm sitting there going okay somebody from new york i would have never ever 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 expected that to happen right um, but he just comes out and says that. I mean, it, it's just things like that that just blow my mind. And so I'm just really enjoying this Trump presidency. After eight years of utter incompetence under Barack Obama, it's really nice to see somebody not only with a backbone, but somebody that's actually following through on the promises they made during the campaign. Right. And the Twitter stuff bothers me sometimes, you know, the Twitter insults <laughs> and stuff like that. But as a commentator who does two shows a week, if you do five shows a week on the radio— I mean, I wouldn't want the Twitter to go away. I mean, it's, no, it's constant content for us. So, I mean, it definitely benefits guys like us and what we do. So, I mean, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Donald Trump's Twitter account. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned so uh, you... you mentioned uh, abortion going back to the States. And before I let you go, because um, we're running yeah. out of time, before I let you go, the, the main source of hysteria on the left is obviously Roe v. Wade. They think that the court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade, which honestly, I mean, that would be great. If Roe v. Wade should be overturned. Mm-hmm. I honestly kind of doubt it's going to happen. Um, we can mm-hmm. hope. But do I want to explain to the to the listeners that might not know, and maybe to any of our friends on the left that are listening, we do have some listeners that are on the left. Um, mm-hmm. All you lefties listening, thanks for sticking with me. I mean, wow, I insult you guys <laughs> daily. But um, <laughs> I don't think people on the left know what Roe v. Wade is. They think that uh, it would magically just, overturning Roe would... Uh, ban all abortions or something like that, which is obviously completely false. Yeah. So Roe versus Wade was simply put, it was a Texas statute that said, look, you are not, not allowed to have an abortion unless it's for a medical reason, AKA you're not allowed to have an abortion unless it's going to impact your health. And so that's always the thing that people jump to 
do is they say, well, what if the what if the fetus, what if the child is impacting the health of the mother? And the Texas statute that initially caused Roe versus Wade to launch covered that. I mean, it clearly covered that. And by the way, that only makes up 12% of abortions per the Guttermach Institute in the United States. And the Guttermach Institute is a very left-leaning institute. So 12% of 300,000, 70% are inconvenienced. So I get the health argument. I really do. You know, I personally believe that we shouldn't have abortion in the United States. That's just the stance that I've taken until, you know, I am convinced otherwise, which I don't find likely because I know a lot about this, but I'm getting off on on the tangent. Essentially, Roe versus Wade was about a Texas statute. And uh, the woman that was named Roe, whose real name I can't remember at the moment, but uh, she was wanting to get an abortion and it wasn't an impact to her health. And at first she claimed she was raped and then she recanted that and said, no, I wasn't raped. And so it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And essentially they said that it was founded on her right to privacy. But that is the, that's the biggest misread of the constitution ever because black and white, everyone has the right to what? Life and liberty. So if you believe that that child is a life, if you believe it is a child, then that child is being denied its due process. Yet Roe versus Wade was ruled on the right to privacy and the due process clause. So it's the biggest misread of the Constitution. And you know, whether regardless of where you stand on it, um, from a religious standpoint or from a social standpoint, if you look at the Constitution, it was a terrible, terrible ruling, as was the right to privacy ruling. And it was ruled on, I believe, in the early 1970s, mid-1970s. We're now in 2018. Like we have the science. And they also say that, you know, it didn't decide when life began. Well, yes, it did. Because if the child had the right to life, right? If the child, if the child was a child, then it would be permitted due process. It would have the right of due process. So it, it, it defined a ton of things that it never should have because adequate information wasn't had at that time. You know, science wasn't advanced enough at that time. And it just didn't follow the Constitution by any measure. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I talk about it as well as I can, but the best person I can say, go listen to, all you have to do is type in on YouTube, uh, Justice Scalia speaks on Roe v. Wade. And it's just phenomenal what he says because Piers Morgan tries to push him and he goes, the court was wrong with Roe versus Wade. And, you know, you just see Piers Morgan's face go, oh. Because and then he just keeps going. Yeah, Pierce Morgan definitely brought a knife to a gunfight intellectually. <laughs> oh, in, in yeah. One. But, I mean, I think anybody that goes up to to Scalia uh, takes a knife to the gunfight. Right, right. He was a rest in peace. He was an extremely brilliant man. Um, and extreme overturning Roe v. Wade would just be a huge win for federalism in general. All they would do is kick it back to the states. And guys, exactly. people on the left, abortion isn't going anywhere. I mean, if you kick it back to the states. There's a 0% chance California, New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, any of these states, like, they're not getting rid of abortion. They're not even limiting abortion. I mean, abortion would just, is here to stay. It's just if Kentucky and Texas and Oklahoma want to ban it or, or put heavy regulations on it, they should absolutely have the right to do that. Because that's what we are. We are United States of America. Each, you know, we have 50 experiments out there called states that can make their mm-hmm. own laws. So, you know, overturning Roe would just be a win for federalism in general. There's really no downside here, regardless of what you think exactly. about abortion. And it, like it, like it, it, it's regardless of your your views on abortion. You can be 
pro-choice and still be against Roe v. Wade because it's a horribly argued case. I mean, it's just it's that simple. I have seen leftist commentators that are to the farthest left you can think, and they're like, "Look, I support the right to choose." But Roe versus Wade was one of the worst Supreme Court rulings in American history. And if you just read the text, and that's the problem, is that nobody reads the text because what they think it is is basically Roe versus Wade allows abortion. So they think if it's overturned, you know, abortion won't be allowed. And that's not it at all. Because if it's overturned, it would just go back to around 10 to 20 states would pass laws that would be exactly like the Texas statute that would say abortion's not permitted except in the case of rape, incest, or, or health. Uh, problems, which is, I mean, if there's going to be a compromise, like that's a compromise that I could understand. And even then, I'm not sure if I like that compromise, but that's that's a compromise nevertheless. And, and realistically, for states to even put major restrictions on abortions like that, there's a, only a handful of states that would, because you need a Republican governor and, oh, yeah. a, and a supermajority in both houses mm-hmm. of you know the state house or assembly and the state senate. And there's not many yeah. states that have a supermajority in the state Senate and a Republican governor. So, I mean, it's just not—I It's don't know what these people are sitting down worried <laughs> about. I mean, it's just—there's I mean, there's no need to be this, this panicked, but alas, the left is what the left is in 2018. Well, I was about to say, not yet. We have seen—I um, mean, this liberal hysteria has been going on for what seems like eons and eons and eons under President Trump, so— who knows? We may get some super uh, majorities come November. Good Lord willing. <laughs> well, uh, well, Baylor, thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, I definitely have to bring you back on soon. Um, this was a lot of fun. And where can everybody listen to your show? Where can everybody find you online and uh, find your writing and all that good stuff? I definitely appreciate you having me on. Uh, my show is The Wake Up Call, and it's presented by Yellowhammer Radio. If you are in the state of Alabama, you can find my show on 101.1 FM. If not, you can find it on my social media, and I have the links in all my bios, and that's for every platform. It's just J underscore Baylor Cook. Um, all you have to do is search on any platform, Baylor Cook, and you can find me. Um, would love to, I mean, if you disagree with anything I said today, come talk to me. That's what I say. You know, the only way we move forward is through uh, disagreement spurs progress. And so the only way we move forward is through conversation. So I really appreciate you having me on and really appreciate the opportunity to talk not only to you, but to your listeners out there. Absolutely, man. We'll do it again very soon. And everybody follow Baylor. He's great. Check out his show. Uh, I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. (laughs) 